Hi, this is Austin Anderson. I'm the lead pastor of Tacoa Church. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Tacoa Church exists to see people connect to God, to find and live out their purpose. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and draws you closer to God. Well, good morning, Tacoa Church. I'm glad to be with you this morning. I want to say welcome to you if it's your first time here. I want to send a, extend a special welcome to you. Um, I'd love to personally meet you after service, and we have a free gift for you as well in the coffee lounge. But before we jump into the message, I want to take a moment for something that we do each week. And it's something that we intentionally stop for, um, and that's to give back to God with our tithes and offerings and our giving. And we stop for it in service because it's a part of our worship, just like community and our praise and our singing and our, the worship and our discipleship. All of these are pieces of our worship to God. Um, but our giving is also one of the ways that we worship God. And we give back to Him out of what He has given to us. So I just want to make space for you. You can do that now, any point during service. You can do it online at any point even during the week. Um, Allie and I like to do this, you know, on Friday night when... Um, the money hits the bank account. Um, we spend a little time in worship and prayer um, in this way. Um, and, but um, as we jump in today, um, I want to encourage you into this um, and in with Ruth. We're finishing up our series on Ruth today. Ruth chapter 4, we are looking at this morning. We've been looking at all four verses. We're now on verse 4 of Ruth today. And as we look at this, right, we've been looking at Ruth's journey so far. Um, and I'm going to go a little bit off script here, but um, I, was, I was standing there and I was just thinking about Ruth's journey, about how for so long things didn't work out how she had hoped, she wished, how she was probably praying for. Um, decades it took for her to see the final provision of God. I was thinking about my own family's kind of journey this week. Last weekend was busy, and um, this week we were supposed to go on um, a family trip just to get away, um, go south to Monterey for an hour. We were going to stay at a friend's house while they were gone. And um, on Saturday, we got a message that they got COVID, and so they weren't going on their trip so that we couldn't use their house. And we had an event Saturday night, and it was great, and church happened on Sunday, and it was good, and then uh, Sunday night, we started planning, okay, well, what do we do? Like, this is the time that we have as a family. We've been looking forward to this for a long time. And so we ended up finding this place um, to the east that we booked. And then Monday morning came, and we were all excited. We we're like, okay, like, we waited last minute, but we didn't worry. We were like, it's going to work out. It's going to be fine. And we got this place. Um, all we want is just to really just get away, hang out with the kids, spend some family time. And we uh, packed up the car Monday morning, and it was almost nap time for our youngest. And we're like, this is perfect time to leave. It's going to be great. And then we got a text message like, um, hey, there's fires in that area, and there's literally ash raining down um, around. And we thought, ah, what do we do? What, what, what do we do in this moment? And so we quick, we're like, okay, can we cancel that reservation? Do we find something else? And we ended up trusting on faith that we could cancel it and move on. And then we're like, what do we do? And so we started thinking, well, we can't go north. We can't go east because both of those, that's where the smoke is. So the only place we could go is south. So we like kind of pulled up a few quick options on Airbnb. And we just kind of were like, I, we're pretty sure at least one of these will work. So we, on faith, just got in the car and started driving south, hoping that it would work out by the time we got there. Two hours into the drive, we had a place 
booked. Which, you know, if, if you're on your own, like maybe you're a last minute person, it's not that stressful. Maybe it is stressful. Um, but then you have add two kids into the mix. You're like, we can't just stay anywhere with two kids. We can't just like recline the seats and be like, we'll just rough it in the car overnight. Like, like we need a place for the family when we get there. And the good news is God provided. And we got there and actually we, there was more things we were dealing with even once we got there. And then finally on Tuesday, we got to relax a little bit and enjoy the vacation and, and see and enjoy some of the blessings of God. And then as we came back into town, there was more things that happened before we got to today. And um, I was reflecting on even my own faith journey and probably what Ruth's faith journey was like. Because where my faith is at today, even as we were prepping for Sunday morning and things that you guys will never even know that didn't go according to plan, and, but it all came together by the time we got here. On my own faith journey, I would have worried a lot more about that earlier on in my faith journey. And I think Ruth as well probably would have worried a lot more at the start of her faith journey. She would have worried a lot more partially into her faith journey. But her faith was built by God as she continued to trust him more and more to say, whether things look like they're working out or don't look like they're working out, what Ruth tells us is that God is at work. And even if we haven't seen the provision yet, even if we don't know what God is doing, that he is providing and things that are on the way, even when we haven't seen it yet. And today we get to look at the conclusion of Ruth, where that full provision comes in. And it's the foundation of both our faith and it's the foundation of Ruth's story. And I think as we look at that, that foundation, even as we just sang about, means that nothing else really matters, that we trust because of God. My message today is called Redeemed to Reconcile. This is my message, Redeemed to Reconcile. We're going to look at the redemption of Ruth, and we're going to look at how her redemption is a, a model and an example as well for the redemption that we all need in Jesus. And we're going to look at how we're not just redeemed for ourselves, but we're redeemed to be reconcilers in this world. There is a purpose that God has for us, and one of the main purposes He has for us is to help lead other people to the redemption that we've experienced ourselves. Ruth shows us this, that God is at work. We've been looking at this word, hesed, and it is the Hebrew word that means the loving kindness, the faithfulness, the devotion of those, and it's the devotion to God, and it's the devotion to family. And Ruth, Naomi, Boaz, our main characters in this book, all are examples of this concept of hesed, and we're going to look at the culmination of this today. And so this is where we are at. And so as I set this up, this is what I want you to see as we jump into it. A little background. The thing I want you to see is that God is good. And that is a principle that never changes. It never goes away. And I think it's a principle that helps me a lot in life too, even when things aren't going well, to remember that God is good. He is so good. He, he created the world. He's good. And he sent his son, Jesus, for our sakes. And he is at work in our lives. And when I remember that God is good, when I don't understand something else, I just trust on faith because I know that he is good. And I might not understand it yet, but if I know that God is good, I know that he is working on my behalf. And he is providing for us even when we don't see it. You can put that up there. God is good. And I'm back into my notes, guys. <laughs> um, and 
so that God is good, right? And even when we don't see it, he is providing for us. And this is the story of Ruth, a reminder to keep our faith when things don't seem like they are working out. And that God works through not just the miraculous. Ruth is a story of God working through the everyday actions of his people that are faithful to him. And sometimes God's provision in your life might not come through a miracle. Sometimes it does come through a miracle. But sometimes it comes through the everyday faithfulness of God's people and that he is at work on our behalf. We talked in week one that we can't walk away too soon before we see the provision of God. Sometimes we don't see the provision because we left too soon. We gave up too soon, but he was at work. Week two, I talked about how as we position ourselves and we can position ourselves to better receive the blessing of God and the provision of God for our lives. And last week, I talked about how it's not just waiting for him, it's not just positioning ourselves, but it's partnership with God. We're to wait on Him, and we're to move when it's time to move. It's praying and seeking His provision, but it's also taking the opportunities when they come in our life. So this week, we are looking at how we are redeemed to be redeemers. The last piece of background information I want to share with you, I shared some of this last week, but out of chapter 2, verse 20, we see this concept first. It's kinsman redeemer. Verse 2 um, our translation maybe doesn't quite use that word, but one of our redeemers. Boaz is a redeemer. He is this idea of kinsman redeemer. And the thing for you to know as we jump into this is the most important thing is this was optional, not obligatory. Boaz did not have to fulfill this role. He chose to do it. Number two, the concept is that you would redeem a family member who Ruth was not officially because she married in and was an outsider and then her husband died. But you would redeem a family member whether they needed redemption because they were, fell in hard economic times. You would redeem their land because land inheritance was really important to the people and the culture of this time. You were responsible for the legal well-being of those in your family. And you would also be responsible for redeeming somebody who was widowed with no children. Because legacy and children was both how you were provided for as a as a as you got older, but it was also so important to them and their lineage. We're going to see this in a minute. It was immensely important to the Israelite people, their lineage. And last week in chapter 3, we saw Ruth ask Boaz to redeem her. And Boaz said, I want to, but I don't yet have the right to because somebody else is actually has the primary right for you because of the relationship that they have to your family. They have first right. And as I was thinking about this, and this message, I was even thinking about like, okay, how do I, you know, I just, I told that other story about my week, but I was thinking about like, what is a, my example of this in my life? And then, and I couldn't come up with a great one. I found that I've got myself in trouble many times and God has got me out sometimes and I've gotten myself out many times. I'm very self-reliant. I think in our, in America, we're often very self-reliant people. We almost like prize that culture and that value of fixing it yourself. And the it's not that I've never gotten myself in trouble. It's not that nobody has helped me when I've been in trouble. Um, but we are very, and I am a very self-reliant person. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not a good thing. But one of the concepts as we jump into this is that we all need help. And we see Ruth and she's in this difficult situation, um, but she needs help. And it's, you know, we like these self-reliant stories. We like the stories of even self sacrifice, and we see this, Hollywood knows this, the story of the Redeemer, right? It's the quintessential Hollywood story arc. It's Frodo in Lord of the Rings, or it's Harry Potter, or it's any number of movies of the, the hero that sacrifices themselves to redeem. 
And I've messed up plenty, but I didn't have a good story. And because I'm so self-reliant and I was thinking about this and I was thinking about how we ourselves and the reality though is that we all need to be rescued. Many of us, we just don't know it. And some of us, you know, some of us do and after we become reconciled, we become the greatest reconcilers of others and the redeemers of others. We want to help everyone else get saved because of what we experience. But I think many of us, as we jump into this, I think we maybe identify a little bit with that movie 127 Hours where the guy gets trapped and he saves himself. And what the story of God is and the story of the Bible is that we have all messed up so much because of sin in our lives and because of what has happened in our lives that we can't save ourselves. I'm going to come back to this, but it's essential. The reality that we need help from outside of ourselves. We can position ourselves for God's blessing. We can pray for We can do some things on our own, but at the end of the day, we need help. And I think even as we look at Ruth's story, I think especially, you know, sometimes I talk to women and like, there's this almost like cultural disconnect to, to now. And it's like, ah, like why, like sh- she needed the guy to redeem her. She needed like help because she was a single woman and it just doesn't compute in our culture. But for all of us, it doesn't matter man or woman, we need the redemption of God in our lives. So Ruth chapter four, Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there and behold, the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken to Ruth came by. So Boaz Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And Boaz took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here as well. So they sat down. And then he said to the Redeemer, who had the first right, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one beside you to redeem it, and I come after you. And so the guy said, I will redeem it. Right? The guy had the right to say, that property is value to me. I have the first right to that property. Like, I want it. It makes sense. He wants the wealth for himself. Who would not want that? But there was a condition to the land. The condition was that you couldn't get the land just to make your name great you actually would make the name of the family whose land it came from greater than your name. It was a self-sacrificing thing. The family name and legacy meant everything to these people, and so for him to redeem it, he would have given that up. And Boaz, I don't don't know, he's like the sly business end. He comes in on the back end and says, oh, you want it, do you? Just so you know, if you do, in verse 5, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. The process went through, and the guy's like, I I wanted, I I actually, I I don't want it. I'm going to decline it because I care about my family name more than helping her. Like, I, I don't want it. I care about myself. And my first point today is that we are to be reconcilers. And Ruth is redeemed by Boaz. She is blessed beyond expectation with family, wealth, husband, children, we see by the end of this chapter, and the legacy even she leaves for those children. And Boaz gets to be a part of it as well. 
Now, Ruth, it says, the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, Boaz says this, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witness this day. See, what Boaz did is he redeemed Ruth. Don't mistake this as uh, he purchased it and she, pur- he, she purchased the land and he got her just all for himself. It says to perpetuate, he did it, the name of the dead, to perpetuate Elimelech's name and Naomi's name and their family's name and their children's name. Not Boaz's, theirs. To continue their legacy, their family's legacy. Boaz is the redeemer. He is the one that helps care for Ruth. And it's an example for us today of our role, yes, in redeemers. But Paul says it this way, because we don't come in his time. We come after the time of Jesus. Paul says it this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and trusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And I'm going a little bit backwards today. I'm starting with our role after we already are redeemed to be reconciled. I'm going to come back to the redemption part in the second half of my message. But Boaz shows us the way to be reconciled. See, those that have been redeemed are redeemed for a purpose. And we have been redeemed to be reconcilers. We've been redeemed to help others as Boaz looked to others' sake and not his own sake. To be the ambassadors, the ones that bring other people to the true Redeemer. Jesus Christ. And maybe we're a little bit, maybe even like Naomi, where she introduces Ruth to Boaz and brings Ruth to the Redeemer. And we are to bring other people to the kinsman Redeemer, to the ultimate Redeemer, Jesus. And this is our charge, to selflessly, like Boaz, be ambassadors, as Paul talks about. To bring people to Jesus. And the culture of Boaz was to make your name great. This was what it was about. Even the whole kinsman redeemer thing is about continuing the legacy of the family. And I think many of us can relate to that side of it, right? It's about what we want. It's about us maybe making our name great or raising up our family, our, our job, our work, financially with our family members, with our friends. In their eyes, we're trying to promote ourselves. Boaz shows us something different. Boaz shows us that when we seek to raise up others, when we live out the ministry of reconciliation, that God will raise up our name for us instead. He shows us we don't have to do it ourselves, and that's the good news. It's not on our shoulders. God is going to do it on our behalf instead, and his way is always better than our way. The first Redeemer passed on this because he was so focused on himself. Boaz got to be faithful to this woman, Ruth, and he got to have, as we looked at last week, the woman who had the reputation of faithfulness and devotion and family and cared for those around her. He got an amazing wife out of this because he wasn't focused on perpetuating his own name. He was just focused on doing the mission that God had for him. And for us, right, Boaz makes his name into the Bible. That other guy, we don't even get his name. He's just the other guy at the gate. You know, his, his legacy is so far gone, we literally don't even have his name. Where Boaz's name gets into the Bible and he gets a legacy that is greater than almost anybody else in the Bible. 
He gets his name up there in verses alongside people like David and Abraham and Jesus because of his faithfulness and of, of putting others over himself and doing the ministry that God had him, for him versus just doing what he wanted to perpetuate his own name. And I want to invite you and ask you, who, who do you need to put maybe above yourself? And I want to invite you to not forsake the ministry of reconciliation, of inviting other people in. Who has who God put in your life to share with? Because of what God has done in your life, it's just sharing your story. If God has done this for me, I want to share with you what he has done for me. And it can be in so many different ways, but I want to invite you to do this, right? We naturally talk about the good things in life. My wife, Allie, you know, one of the things she talks about is Tokoa a lot, but one of the other things she talks about a lot to other moms, because she's a mom of two young kids, is library story time. There's story time, they do science, they do art, they do music, like at the library, and it's all free. And every time she meets a new mom, she's like, have you heard about this? Like, it's so great. It's like free entertainment for your kids. And she, ha- she talks to everybody she meets about it, right? Because it's been so good for her that she can't help but talk about it with other people because she wants them to experience the good thing that she experienced. And our faith is to be the same way. God has done so much for us We want other people to experience it as well. We don't want to just keep it for ourselves, and we don't want to just look to ourselves, right? I think some of us maybe even are, we're so worried about our own name, how will we look in front of other people that we don't want to share with them or invite them, but God is saying, don't make your name great, make my name great. And if you make my name great, I'm going to care for you anyways. We might not, we're not going to get our name in the Bible like Boaz, but God is going to care for us and our family if we look to make his name great over our name great, and we put him first. Jesus said it this way, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Simple words, but profound. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever looks to themselves in this world is going to end up losing their life anyways, and they're going to lose the things they're looking for. But whoever loses his life for Jesus' sake will end up actually finding true life. Some of us need to start losing our life because it's in the losing and the looking to others over ourselves as Boaz did that we will truly find life and meaning and purpose. So my second point today is the other half of this. The first half is the redemption side. The redemption of our life. And we have been redeemed to reconcile. Let's look at redemption a little closer. God said this. I'm not going to actually read this verse, but in Philippians, it sets an example for us. Philippians 2 is this beautiful example of Jesus coming, not putting his own namesake, Philippians says, not taking the position of authority and blessing and privilege that he earned in heaven, but coming down for our sake to sacrifice his life on our behalf. This is the example of Jesus for us, not to put our own name first, but to put his name first. Remember I said God is good. This is the goodness of God. We call it literally the good news of God. When we say the word gospel in the church, that's the Greek word for good news. It's the good news is coming, that's the gospel. It's the good news of what God has done in our life. That God has provided for us even before we did anything, even when we didn't deserve it. So I'm going to give you a little bit more historical background. I know some of you love this. Some of you are like, eh, you know, I'm, I'm done with history. I graduated high school already. But sometimes history can make us appreciate what we have now so much more. And so I want to take you all the way back to Abraham. Um, because 
We're going to look at Matthew chapter 1 for a minute, which is the genealogy of Jesus. Matthew chapter 1 starts out this way. This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and Abraham. And then a bunch of people in between that we're going to look at in a minute, some of them. All the way back to Abraham. Why does he go all the way back to Abraham? Because Abraham got an original promise from God that through Abraham, God would bring up a people that would be his people, and those people's job was to, number one, worship God and follow him, and number two, be the reconcilers to the rest of the world. The Israelites from the beginning were supposed to be the light of the world and inviting other people into relationship with their God. That was from the beginning. And Abraham got this promise from God. A promise, and this is the thing I want you to see that maybe not some of us even that grew up in the church, maybe don't know this. It's a promise that God made to Abraham, and God is a covenant God. He's a God of promise, but God made a promise to Abraham, and normally you would make a promise and say, this is your responsibility, this is my responsibility, and we both have to hold up our parts. And if we don't hold up our part, then the agreement is void. What God did instead with Abraham is said, here's my promise to you. I don't require anything of you. I'm responsible for upholding the whole agreement. It was radical for the time. It's radical for us. God was fully uh, responsible for providing a way. And the Israelites would get this. All the heirs of Abraham would inherit this promise and other people would get brought into it as well. Your family would be a part of this promise if you were to this day, if you were an Israelite. If you were to this day Jewish, you would have inherited this promise. But this is the key. There was always a way for other people to get brought in. God is a God of covenant. This is what the word Yahweh, the, the name for God, means. And it means that God does not abandon us. He doesn't give up on his promises, and we can't give up or abandon him. And in our Tequila group two weeks ago, somebody pointed out to me a little bit of Boaz's family history that I didn't see. See, I've been looking at Luke's version of Jesus' family history. Matthew adds a key detail that I didn't see that was really opened my eyes up to some, some of how good of news this is for us. See, there's a a vital piece of information in Luke's version of this. It says in verse 5, And Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, I'm going to come back to that, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king, the greatest king in Israel's history. Boaz was born by, Salmon was the father, Rahab was the mother. Who was Rahab? Well, we go back to Joshua, we see, But Rahab, the prostitute in her father's household, and all belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Rahab hid the spies. That's part of her story. She was faithful. She said, I want to become a part of God's people. She grew up around the idols and the other gods around her, and she said, these are not the true gods. The God of Israel is the true God, and I'm going to follow him. And so she helped the spies that came in to check it out before the Israelites came in. But I want you to see a little bit about Rahab. Number one, she wasn't just anybody. She was a prostitute. She was not, you know, like well-off, well-to-do, living, you know, a faithful life to God. This was her life. The other thing she did, she let the spies down through the, through the window to get out of the city so that they could escape because the city heard that they were in there and they were looking for him. And so she let the spies out through her window. What does it mean that she let them out through the window? This would be a good sermon in of itself, but there's a key piece there. If she let them out through the window, it means she lived in the wall of the city. 
The wall of the city is what God's people marched around for seven days. And on the seventh day, it says, the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. And as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout and the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. God had to save her because she lived in the wall that came crashing down. He had to set aside and provide for her because she, she said, I want to follow you, God. I want to make a way in you. And I want you to see what happened to Rahab. She was a sinner. She was not an Israelite of the chosen people of God, but she acted honorably towards God and to his people, and she followed him. And when the wall fell and her family were safe, only the salvation of God could save her for that. And she was spared despite everybody else around her because of her faithfulness to God. Not only was she spared, she married one of the Israelite guys. Boaz became her son who became an honorable landowner who was more honorable than the other redeemer from Elimelech's family that would do something for somebody else that wasn't for him. Maybe because he heard his mom's story of what happened to her and that she lived for not just herself, but she looked to other people and she was faithful and he knew where she had come from. He and his family had received the salvation of God and he wanted to be a part of sharing that to Ruth as well because of what happened to Ruth. What you need to see is what God did. Boaz from a Canaanite mother, you can put up point T for me. Boaz from a Canaanite mother, he came and an Israelite father son of a prostitute, becomes the father in the line. He becomes the redeemer for Ruth. Ruth, so he's from the outsider's family, and he comes in. Ruth, a Moabite woman, lives Hesed towards her family, becomes an Israelite. She becomes the mother with Boaz after getting redeemed. And she experiences the earthly redemption of God in her life by getting provided for in her life, both for her family and the legacy. Boaz and Ruth two children from parents with outsider past become the great-great-grandparents of King David, the greatest king of the Israelite people. They become the ancient great-great-great-something grandparents of Jesus Christ himself, who would ultimately bring the redemption and be the redeemer of us all. What I want you to see is it doesn't matter our past, doesn't matter our families, doesn't matter what we have done, doesn't matter what you came into this room this morning, what happened this morning. What matters is what God does when we encounter him. Titus chapter 3 says this in the New Testament. We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing away our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. All of us, to some way or another, have messed up in our lives. We've all done things against God. We've done things against other people. None of us are perfect and that's good news because I know I'm not perfect. I don't know how you feel about your life, but none of us are perfect. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, that word loving kindness in Greek, if you look at Ruth in Greek, it's hesed. It's the same word. The hesed of God, but his hesed, but God's faithfulness to his people. The God of our Savior appeared. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. 
We all need a redeemer because we've all messed up. And the hard thing is for some of us to admit that because we're self-reliant. We want to do it on our own. We think that we can move forward. We don't like saying we can't do something. We don't like Ruth being needing the redemption of Boaz, but we all need a redeemer. We all sin. We've all done things against other people, against God, but God has redeemed us. Ruth asked Boaz in chapter 3 with these same words, cover me with the corner of your garment, and God had promised to do that for us because it's not about us. It's about God. In the original covenant with Abraham, God fulfilled it through his final covenant through Jesus. And this is the promise we just need to accept. It's not about what we have done, but what about what God has done. It's about bringing dead to life. It's not about bringing bad people and making bad people good. It's about bringing the dead to life. And he did it with Rahab. He did it with Boaz. He did it with Ruth. He did it throughout the pages of the Bible. It doesn't matter their past. It matters what God has done. It's a gift that we just need to accept the goodness of God, that he is there to redeem us. This is the good news, that he is the God of life. I'm going to invite the band back up here as I finish right now. But this is our good news, that he is a God of bringing dead things, dead people back to life. Some of us, you know, I was thinking about, right, the fire this week, and I was thinking about what does this look like in our lives? And I think some of us were in the building and we're climbing up the building because we see how the floors above us. We see what other people have. We see if I, I, I get this thing over here at my job or I get this thing that I want over here or I'm trying for this thing in my life. And we start climbing up this building and we're like, okay, this building is now falling apart around us. And the fire is consuming the building around us. And we keep trying to climb to somewhere that's safe. But as we keep climbing up the building, we fail to realize that there is no escaping. There's no way down out of the building because the whole thing on the bottom is on fire. And so we keep trying to climb up the building. And what we need to realize is that Jesus is outside on the ladder of a giant fire truck saying, all you have to do is accept my help. If you keep running up the building, keep chasing other things, keep trying to find a way out on your own, you're not going to find it. It's you're going to keep running into walls. You're going to keep just climbing and climbing and climbing, and so is that fire. But I'm standing here with my hand extended, and I'm inviting you. Come and accept what I have for you. I have a way out. And the good news is it's not just about our hased and loving kindness to others and God. It's more about God's loving kindness and hased towards us. That he has redeemed us when we were still sinners— not because of us, but by His mercy. That He has redeemed us as sinners while we were still sinners. He sent Jesus for us by the washing and the work of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Jesus came. He lived a perfect life where none of us could live a perfect life. And then He went to his death on the cross that he didn't deserve because he didn't do anything against anybody. But he said, I will go for your sake. And so he died a death he didn't deserve on the cross and he experienced the eternal separation that we all deserved from God for three days before he was raised to new life by God. And that's the proof that the payment went through for us. That Jesus' redemption was final. If you look in Ruth, 
Boaz pays for the land with a promise by giving his sandal to the other guy in front of everybody. The proof of the payment for us is that Jesus was raised to life three days later. That's the proof that it went through, that God said, I accept what you did, Jesus, on behalf of everybody else, but we have to receive it. We don't have to do anything except receive it. And this is the beautiful thing. Just as Boaz, the mother of Rahab, was brought into the covering of being an Israelite, just as Ruth, the Moabite widow, was brought in, it does not matter your past. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter your family or no family. It doesn't matter what you've done or not done in your life. It doesn't matter the severity of your sin or the goodness that you think you have in your life. It matters what Jesus has done because God is not about making bad people good. He's about bringing dead people back to life. And Romans 11 tells us that because of the loving kindness of God, we are grafted into God's family. Just as Ruth, the Moabite outsider, just as Rahab, the outsider, were brought into God's family and made a part, this is what God does for us as well when we accept the work of Jesus in our lives. Romans tells us we just need to confess what Jesus did and believe in it. We need to believe in our hearts what he did. That he came, he lived, he died, and he rose again for our sake. And then we need to to live it out because that's what true brief requires is a response and action to it. If you're here this morning, I want to invite you to accept that gift of God. Maybe you just need to come back to him. Maybe you've walked away or, or turned your back or maybe it's just been difficult and you haven't totally turned your back, but Jesus is calling you back saying, I have the way back right now. I have the redemption for you. It's all been paid. It's all been taken care of. You just need to accept the goodness that I have that Ruth finally got to experience by the end of her book. I want to invite you all to just bow your heads right now and pray with me. And if you he- feel something in your heart right now saying, God, I want you. I don't, I don't, I don't fully know, but, but that sounds good. I need, I need some help in my life. I need a redeemer in my life. I need somebody that can take me from death to life. I'm trying to be good, but I can't, I can't be good enough on my own. I need help. That's God saying, I'm here standing outside the building. Just take my hand and I'll take care of the rest. So if you want to follow him, just you can pray these words in your heart along with me. Jesus, I believe you came for me. I believe you died on the cross for me and you rose three days later. I choose to follow after you. Amen. 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 Right now, we're going to respond in worship. And we're going to sing a song called This is the Gospel. And it is about what Jesus has done for us. Whether you are coming to him for the very first time today or you've been following him for many years, we can be grateful because of what he did on the cross for us. This is the gospel that Jesus came for our sake to redeem us. Nothing else matters. It doesn't matter how our lives are going. It only matters what he did. That is the most important thing in this world. So would you guys stand with me? Stand with us. We're going to sing this out together. We might be small today, but that's okay. God is here in this place. Let's worship him because of what he did on our behalf. Thank you for joining us on the Tekoa Church podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just received and let God do the work only he can do. We hope it helped you wherever you are at in your faith journey. We want to connect with you if you're going through something difficult or looking to be a part of our church community. 
fill out the Tacoa card on our Connect page, tacoachurch.org connect. While there, you can also see the most up-to-date information in the life of our church. A special thank you to those of you who give to Tacoa. Your sacrifice makes this podcast and our Sunday gatherings possible, as well as creates life change throughout the world. You can be a part of this by going to tacoachurch.org giving. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast. Until next time, blessings.